0: standing over by the open door overlooking the cornfield and the, you know, thunder and lightning are going in the distance. And, of course, she reaches for me, I reach for her, and we have our first kiss in private. Not realizing that half the attendant membership of St. Paul's at the time was there at the party looking at us saying, Oh, isn't that cute?
1: Welcome to Christ in All Things, a conversation about meaning and purpose.
2: It's based on a Bible verse. Colossians 1.17, which says, "Christ is before all things, and in Him all things hold together."
1: Christ in all things is a listening ear into conversations about receiving and giving the love and hope of Christ. And these
2: conversations, they are an invitation, because as you'll hear, and as much as we enjoy having them, digital media operates from a distance, and that is not what's best for us, with God or with one another.
1: So. Thanks for listening. And if you're in the neighborhood, we invite you to participate in person in The Life That Finds Its Epicenter at St. Paul's Lutheran Church, 210 East Pleasant Street in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin.
2: Welcome back, listeners, to Christ in All Things. Uh, It is our pleasure to have with us Glenn Robert Lydell, Again, I'm
1: Pastor Jason Shockman, And I'm Pastor Lance O'Donnell.
2: Glenn, I want to touch uh, on your father working at a camp. Can you tell us about what he did there?
0: He was the maintenance man or campmate ranger was the term of the time. Now he called a property manager. It was a 40-acre facility with about uh, six permanent structures and a lot of other things. And curiously, at the time, it was only open during the summertime, basically April through September, um, which led to some other issues, didn't help him with his condition. Um, But what it did for me was build on the foundation I had uh, back in the Milwaukee Public Schools in uh, seventh grade it was at Edison Junior High, one of the seven schools I went to. Uh, They had a, we were the... uh, had a special unit on race relations and we were just a bunch of kids and didn't even think about stuff like that even then but i was picked as being the chubby little european kid and I had an asian (laughs) indian girl uh, a beautiful german girl with a wonderful accent every version of a person of color you could possibly imagine but we were all one you know, it was it it was meant to be this big class to change all our attitudes and whatever. And I know it supported, I think, the the attitude and the the friendships that we had. But it, it was also the year that Martin Luther King was assassinated and Bobby Kennedy was assassinated. And so here we are, and we were we we're in a different building than the rest of the middle school. So we're go over there for the second half of the day, and over there, well, you white, blah, blah blah, we're gonna do blah blah blah, and well you black, blah, blah blah, and we're like, "Why are you guys all angry at each other? and' we just sad that these guys that these great guys were killed, you know, and it really I mean that's all stuck with me is just that because I remember the guy saying the the negative connotation about the assassinations, and it's like <laughs> why are you why are you being like that?
2: you know so that you know, because the little group of of this hodgepodge of people that you hung out with for half the day yeah. together, you guys were just sad that these great leaders had been assassinated, exactly. Exactly. and not mad at each other about events completely outside
1: of your control. What, and re- remind me again, what was the leadership? What was the group for?
0: It it was just a. Uh, I don't remember the name for it. it had a special name, but it essentially was like uh, and they didn't call it race relations. it was something more more subtle than that. but it really was just a way of learning hey, everybody's alike.
1: So know? they took a group and in you for the first half of the school day you learned with these other students
0: right, right. And actually it was our it was our group for the whole uh, for the whole school day. And so if whether we were in English or in whatever, you know, we were all, all together with the same kids. It also had a large number of the kids from our the housing project we lived in, which was Berryland up on the northwest end of town by the old Army base. Um, there, too, we had a wide uh, mix of uh, nationalities, races, races. Um, you know, it's, it's, we were a totally integrated neighborhood, but nobody had to tell us we were or say that it was anything, anything unusual. It's just the way we lived and the folks we lived with on a day to day basis.
1: You that's, know? that's an interesting and maybe a topic for, for another time because Milwaukee has a reputation, a wretched reputation for race relations. But you're just describing at least a part of the city where, that didn't seem to be right at all. And it's and
0: it, and it was, you know, maybe a sixth-grader perspective instead of an adult perspective. Sixth-grader's
1: sixth perspective is a pretty good perspective I have yeah, on that issue.
0: Well, it was, but I mean, I have some very definite memories. We we're only there for basically two and a half years, but it was long enough when I was sixth grade and then seventh grade. Uh and then we moved out to McGuanago, which was real culture shock, because here we go from living on Hopkins Boulevard in Milwaukee, which at that time was the north through fare out of town. You came down Sherman Boulevard, went a block west or north. So twenty four seven traffic buses, semis, cars, little two lane road, intersection right there, stopping and starting, all this noise. When I moved out to McGuanago at the YMCA camp, and I couldn't sleep the first two nights because it was too quiet.
2: <laughs>
1: and then
0: the well pump went off in the basement and scared the daylights
1: out of me. So I, I'm kind of chuckling thinking about him as the chubby little white kid. Because this is, because, yeah. you know, Glenn, Glenn is what? You're 6'5 and two and a half bills solid oh. still at age what? 60. What? Pardon? How old are you? 67. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I've just, I've, I'm kind of chuckling, thinking of you as a chubby little white kid. I was. I definitely was. Yeah,
2: that doesn't fit my imagination at all. (laughs) Not a bit.
0: Well, one of the other places mom would go on her way home with the government food was Johnson Cookies had their, uh, what do you call it, their resale shop anyway for the broken cookies and whatever, which I didn't say that dad was in the hospital for two and a half years, which also didn't help his presence or lack thereof. But at the same token, she would stop by him, go to the cookie place to buy us a bag of the broken cookies, which I would polish off almost individually. So
1: <laughs> that was the chubby little white kid.
2: That and the amount of bread that his brother brought home from the bakery job makes some sense.
1: It yeah, lend, lends itself yeah, to,
2: to the chubby little to little the white
1: chubby kid. white kid. Yeah, so let, let's go back because I know you want to talk uh, about just to reiterate for our listeners in part one, we talked about your, you know, your mom, the things that formed you as a human being. Your mom and her faithfulness. Yes. Uh, closely related to that, right? Your siblings, which were almost kind of subsumed into one. And you talked about your life at Sherman Park Lutheran. Yes. And then, as we came back here in part two, we're talking about camp, and I think we left that too early. And we, that's well, that was where I wanted to get back to setting the stage a little bit of
0: being at in seventh grade in Milwaukee. Set me up for you know didn't set me up for moving out to the country where I was a white kid and racism and was a real problem still even in 1968 69. In fact, it was a huge problem at that time in in the in the rural areas. But our clientele at the camp, being a YMCA camp, primarily quote unquote underprivileged kids from Waukesha. We had uh, a large Hispanic population, a large Black population. Plus, you throw in a couple exchange counselors from Finland or Germany, and then a lot of staff members who, which was was thinking about this, a lot of these guys, we had a couple of the staff members who were vets who came back from Vietnam and came to work at a children's camp, which you can go all sorts of places with, but, I mean, all good. I mean, they never were a problem, you know. But I think of how I should have talked to them and found out more about what was going on. But at the time, you know, and and even now, if they don't ask, you know, if they don't tell, you don't ask type of thing. But then there was was also the the very liberal college kids were the, the majority of the staff. And most of those very liberal college guys played guitar to try to impress the girls at camp. So, of course, I had to learn to play the guitar and I, you know, taught
1: myself. Because that's an important life skill. Pardon? Learning how to impress the girls is an important yeah. life skill. That's yeah. why I learned to play the guitar. <laughs> it didn't work, you know, so for me at least.
2: Yeah, my but, wife didn't uh, marry me because I played the guitar. Well, I don't
1: there. know. You, you know, you bagged, you bagged Linda Eggers, or, as it were. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not here. Yeah, yeah Linda, Linda
0: Eggers came along. Oh, well, uh, and that's, that's part of the story too, which fast forward from being at the... Uh, very racially integrated camp, and then working for the Boys and Girls Club at a camp for 17, 14 years before I went full-time in the fire service. Again, with a completely integrated and cohesive, very tightly, what's the word? Not tightly run, tightly appreciated. You know, people just work together, you know, and it was a really wonderful environment to grow up in. But then in, uh, it was actually the year that, yes, 1974, three they were planning the youth gathering for St. Paul's and I was going to uh, Good Shepherd East Troy at the time I came up here with Pastor David Rates to help coordinate I was the leader of the youth group down there we had like eight kids you know and we had a meeting right in the room right over here 50 feet from where we're sitting and this really stunning young lady came in with her dad and I'm like whoa and, but, okay, yeah, we're here for you know to sit up to Yeah, together. we're here
2: for church stuff but, and
0: now- and now you can't concentrate exactly nope <laughs> yeah, see and it's, it still does, you know, but then the the sad point was her dad, my future father in law unbeknownst to me, had to excuse himself because his brother just passed away, mm. and so he left, and I saw the beautiful girl, I went back to McWanago, and you know that was the end of it, you know until when uh I started working for the camp, uh, camp Whitcomb.
1: And how old were you at that time?
0: Uh, would have been, uh, 18.
1: So you were in high school. I was, I graduated. Had I just graduated. graduated. Seventeen. Okay. And you ran into Linda here at St. Paul's in Oconomowoc when you were yeah. working with your pastor from and Waukesha. Was,
0: and then I was, I was working at another camp while at camp Whitcomb in Merton. And, uh, then since I moved up this way, my sister had moved up this way, my parents went out to, moved out to the Union Institute. My dad became the property manager out there on the other shore of La Label. So we started coming to church here, and uh, again, I start seeing this really beautiful girl come wandering through now and then and, you know, never would say anything, of course, because I was too shy, she was too shy, and, you know, and, you know, my... Uh, Father-in-law, bless his soul, would stand there and talk to my dad and, you know.
2: I'm having trouble believing Glenn Lydell was too shy.
0: <laughs> you, you, you never know.
2: But, but uh, so, so t- before we get to the story of how you and Linda ended up dating, uh, I want to pause with this beautiful girl walking through the picture and return to something that Ray taught you. Yes. Because I think this is going to pop up here. Uh You said that you learned from Ray, whatever you did, whether it was catching fish with your bare hand or going about a task, do it with authority. Correct. Uh, how, how, How did that lesson play out in taking you from camp to the fire service? And when along the way does Linda join this story full time?
0: Okay. Well, it's it's just a, I've always had a tendency to be if, if there's a problem I want to fix it. Uh, it's just my nature. Nature of maintenance work. Nature of maintenance work is to you know if something breaks fix it or have an eye and look at it and fix it. Um, but the the do it with authority part came in with you know don't do it halfway, don't skimp. You know, if you don't know how to do it, learn how to do it. The other thing Ray had said, if anybody will educate you on any topic, especially if they'll pay you to go to school, you know, do it, you know, and that it's learn as much as you can from as many different people as you can. And He was a big one on, on encouraging encourage me to keep going. He was the one that was one of the pivotal people in making me take the full-time position in Oconomowoc because here I was living in Merton at the time. had a nice house, was a rental house, you know, had a nice house place to raise the kids, but I felt my future was in the fire service, but you know, it's hard to leave what you're comfortable and familiar with and step into something totally new, especially going from being a a paid on call firefighter volunteer to full-time and now having, you know, uh, all the other people under your under your command, although and in the volunteer service too. In the the uh, seven years I was at Merton, went from a you know uh, proba- probationary firefighter in the sense of time and, and grade, and then had taken a lot of training up at that time through WCTC. No W, yeah, WCTC. Good enough.
1: Waukesha County Technical College. Correct.
0: And uh, anyway. Moved to when I went full time in the fire service, so I still had those misgivings. And Ray was one of the ones saying, you know, uh, you don't, you know, don't sell yourself short. Go for it. You know, was the encourager? The other person there, skipping forward a little bit, is was my was Linda, and it's the most memorable word she ever spoke to us, other than I do, (laughs) (laughs) or well, you tell too many puns uh but the most memorable <laughs> words she ever said to me were that well you don't want to say i should have or why didn't i and she said try it and for her that was a a huge leap of faith for her of course it means we're moving back from the wilds of merton to her comfortable economy walk but that was one of the other funny things when we were first married we lived out in eagle and very rural eagle our closest neighbor was a mile and a half away and yet it was uh, a beautiful place to be to be uh, living a beautiful place to have our, for two children in and then eventually that job ended because they sold the camp and we moved back up to merton went into the fire service and that's kind of where it goes from there but you know with ray it was do it with authority you get all the education you can and uh you don't want to be saying, "What if you would have, you know, or I should have done that?" That was the, I think, the, the three piece of advice from him.
2: So, at what point between Camp and Camp and Fire Service in Merton does Linda join the picture full time?
0: She would have been in uh, 1976. We got married on the bicentennial year. June 27th, which was my birthday. I figured if I ever forgot our Okay, you're, sk- you're skipping ahead because
1: you, you ran into this beautiful girl, uh-huh. and then you ran into her again, but you were too shy. So how did this happen?
0: Oh, well, we, we started playing. We had moved to Walk. Uh, I should say my folks did. We started coming to St. Paul's. I was still living at home, so to speak, when I wasn't at camp during the summer. And so I come to school, and again, this beautiful girl comes floating in and out of my my world here. And my dad's talking to her dad, and I don't know it. And in fact, I thought that she was her friend Sandy, who was also a nice young lady, but didn't have my eye on as much at that time. Honestly, you know. And uh, we got involved in the in the uh, shouts of glory at the time with Connie Schneider and Dan Wallace, uh, Gary Gerlach. Um, I think those were the principal uh, players at the time. And then, oh, would you help me buy a guitar? Sure, let's go buy a guitar. So I helped her buy a guitar and yada, yada. And Fast forward uh, about six months to uh, her folks' 25th wedding anniversary, and uh, it was the last day of camp, coincidentally, so moving all my earthly possessions in the world home in the back of my open back pickup truck and there's this huge thunderstorm coming and it's like well if I hurry now I can get home to Oconomowoc and park it there but I really didn't want to go to this stupid 25th wedding anniversary for some people I really didn't know you know never thinking that my then to be future wife would be there and uh anyway it never did rain but it did run back to to Oconomowoc my mom said as long as you're here you might as well come with and it's okay if I have to and uh, we get to the old Concord house out in Concord, and it was like something out of a movie because there could have been a thousand other people there, which there were, and I see this vision of beauty literally floating <laughs> across the floor at me, you know. And uh, from that moment on, I knew that uh, that uh, she was going to be my wife, if, if she said yes. If she,
2: And then she did. Yes. So how did you ask her?
0: Um. In her folks' basement, very romantic, and basically said, well, when we get married next year? And she said, what? And I said, I never told anybody else that, but, uh, you know. But then we, we went upstairs and asked her parents permission, and her mom had to sit down and fan herself because she was so uh, uh, taken aback by it. and Her father said, well, sure, welcome, son,
1: you know. But, uh, <laughs> but that was Paul, you know. And Paul was a stonemason and had enormous... Hands, yes, a, yeah. a working man's mason's hands. This would
0: make mine. I could hide mine inside of his. Wow! So, you know. But it was, uh, yeah. And then there was, and everybody thought there was something going on because we were uh, got married so quickly right afterwards. I mean, it was totally innocent, totally above board. And uh, our uh, big thing of the night was, you know, it's we're all in love and all this, and we're standing over by the open door overlooking the cornfield and the, you know, thunders and lightning are going in the distance. And, of course, she... It's just for me, I reach for her, and we have our first kiss in private. Not realizing that half the attendant membership of St. Paul's at the time was there at the party looking at us saying, Oh, isn't that cute? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so she's going to kill me for saying it on the air. But <laughs> it's too good a story, though. But from, from then it was, uh, that would have been in August, and then we were married the following June.
1: And you were how old at the time?
0: I was was on my 21st birthday, and then she would had, uh, and
1: she was holding
0: 20.
2: Okay. Yeah. So you got married on your twenty first birthday. Yes. Oh. Boy, yo, I thought I picked an anniversary that'd be easy to remember and hard to forget, like hard to mess up how many years I've been married. Right. Oh. This guy just picks his twenty first birthday. So man. that's not bad.
1: Yeah, good thinking. Yeah. yeah. So you said mom, going back to recap, you know, mom and your and your siblings. Sherman Park Lutheran. Your brother-in-law Ray. Um, what's you? Hit, you had another one there.
0: Yeah, the biggest influencer, especially in my faith journey, was indeed Linda. Yeah, there was a time when I had fallen away, and uh, I was using my job as a reason. Actually, my avocation as a firefighter. While well, I'm on duty, I can't go to church today. I could have taken a different day on the schedule, but I didn't. And uh, at any rate, she stuck with me and she said, well, if we, you know, because it's too far to drive from Burton to Oconomowoc, and it is, if you're going to be on duty. She says, well, Divine Redeemer's right there and you wouldn't be out of your area then. Okay, so that's when we went to Divine Redeemer. There were some family things going on in the background at that time, too, that were were contributing. But uh, when I realized that, that I was using work as an excuse to not go to church, that's when I started thinking about it too. And the other driving factor there was the public schools in Merton where kids were going were going with the free to be you and me, which is basically woke, 30 years removed. And going you, on
2: with- You mean there's nothing new under the sun? No. Huh. no.
0: I've read that somewhere. I, yeah, I
2: think ago. I've read that somewhere before.
0: But uh, it's scary because it was happening even back then, you know. My daughters are, you know, have their own teenagers now, and it's coming back. But at any rate, we uh, went to talk to Kurt Adams, who was the principal, and uh, I liked Pastor Janaki. He was a a, uh, a real guy pastor, I mean, in the sense of, you know, he's lived life and, and wasn't afraid to show it, and... And not in a in a in a braggart way, but in a just this is how I get through my life is with my faith, you know. And long story short, we talked to Kurt Adams, the principal at Divine Redeemer. And at the time, I was still working for the camp; was a very modest-paying job, you know. I had housing provided and so forth, but it's still very very modest cash-wise. And. It was one of the few times that my wife and I sat down, prayed together, and just said, well, Lord, we don't know how we're going to do this, but we want our kids to go to parochial school. And we signed the papers, transferred them to, to Divine Redeemer, and we didn't, I didn't get a raise. We didn't get a money tree in the backyard. Nothing in our finances changed. You look at our records at the time, and you can't see how we should have been able to pay for the tuition at Divine Redeemer. And yet it was always covered. I mean, we did it first fruits, you know. And uh, it was just always paid, always taken care of, never a problem. You know, and I've told that to several people over the years as a, you know, have the faith to go forward, which, again, having enough even though you, you don't even know you're getting it necessarily until you look back and say, oh, that's financially impossible, and yet it happened. But, like I say, Linda drawing me back to church. We got involved with the with the contemporary band there. We'd actually been involved with the contemporary band here at St. Paul's first. And then, you know, we'd moved to, the, to Divine Redeemer. A couple of years later then is when I we went full-time in the fire service, and that's when the kids came back to St. Paul's. And another God moment in the whole thing, how did we get the kids back and forth to Divine uh, Redeemer from Oconomowoc for a couple of years? was that Paul worked over at University of Lake School during maintenance. So here, take him and drop him off in the morning. Linda and worked Paul, in the Paul in the Eggers, your father-in-law. Yep, Yeah, father-in-law Paul. And he would take him over in the morning and have his time with them and then drop him off. And then Linda would go over and volunteer in the library and some other things and bring him home, you know. And it was just another one of those times when, when it's it's handled, you know. It's just, it's, it's worked out before you even know there's a problem. So, but. But yeah, my my wife was the biggest reason we came back, and since then, uh, you know, it's we were married here forty six years ago now. Wow! And uh, hopefully, it'll be another uh, whole bunch of wedding anniversaries we get to celebrate, you know, here too. But it's uh, it's been a journey. But uh, I think the connecting thought is the you know just how God has always provided for for me and my family, and. Uh, We've always had enough.
2: So, so Glenn, what I'm hearing is, you can look back over these main five things that have formed you into who you are, and in the midst of all of them, is Christ working in all things? Yes. To keep you in faith, to provide for your need. Yes. And along the way, using you. To encourage others, whether it be your kids or your grandkids or the many people that now go to St. Paul's who may or may not even be aware that much like your cohort, Gary Flanagan, which if you haven't listened to his interview, folks, please do that too. uh, There's probably not a pipe wire or switch in this building that you haven't touched.
0: Uh, I son even more than I have so
2: well he's just been here longer yeah. but y- you are pretty pretty active in using those skills that you learned at camp that you learned Pre-
1: pretty active this <laughs> understatement of the century right yeah, it is like saying a ball uh, is round Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: Right. You are in immensely active in using the skills that you learned from your dad at camp, from the lessons you learned from your brother, Ray, uh, the, the encouragement from your wife to invest in, in your life in the church. You are actively using those skills here at St. Paul's f- for the good of this congregation, whether they know it or not. Thank you. And that is a way I see Christ working in all things.
1: It, it is, it is interesting to, to listen to you. Cause I, you know, we've had a little bit of this conversation before talk about the, how the Lord has provided for you. And I know how important Christian education is for your kids and how important it is yes. for, you know, your grandkids and, you know, and how we were a little weepy when it, when it happened for your grandson Alex to go to Lake country Lutherans yes, more than a little, <laughs> <Very> <laughs> um, thankful. and that was pretty marvelous, by the way. Yeah. And, well, I mean, you talked about how the Lord has provided. And and I'm thinking, sitting, you know, with Pastor Shockman and I sitting on the other side of the table from you, thinking, well, yeah, guy, look at how the Lord has provided for us through you. Yeah. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> you know, no um, doubt. You know, no doubt. Uh, you know, and it, it, for those of you who are listening and don't know Glenn, and maybe some of you will listen and, you know, cause we have some listeners in Germany or other places, you know, you, you might, you might never get to see him, but Glenn's, you know, got some health issues that impact your mobility a little bit uh, and it is some trouble with his back and so forth. And I still find him on ladders. It, it, Shh, don't it, say that it, don't get him in trouble for god's sake Shockman. just just tell him i'm a letter day saint
2: <laughs> oh, oh glenn
1: <laughs> see we knew it would happen he, he is he is the president of puns
2: you, you have a big fancy word for this people who like puns i'm so, sorry no you asked me this once in the sanctuary if i was another one of these people and you had oh, a big yes, long fancy yes, word yes. for it. it what is this word I'm not hearing someone, so I'm sorry. The the big fancy word you have for people who oh, like parts. Paranomasia,
0: yes. I'm I'm suffering from extreme paranomasia. I'm sorry. I try not to try not to uh, to publicize that other than a select few. But it's P A R O N O M A S I A. Look it up.
1: There you go, folks. And it means what? People who like puns. <laughs> so that you can, you can
0: you <laughs> artfully and skillfully use words. Uh, Shakespeare was also a paranomasiac, which I, I don't take any, lay any claim to. But you
2: know. Hey, you know, there was this other guy who was kind of punny. Uh, he, called, he called Peter a rock. Mm-hmm. His name was Jesus. You can look that one up in Greek and see how punny Jesus was. Petras. Yeah, he called Petras a Petra. Well, expected
1: concrete results.
2: <laughs> it was a foundational moment for the church.
1: <laughs> and on that, ladies and gentlemen, we've come up on our time. Glenn, thanks a bunch. Thank God bless you, you. you. For show notes and other information about this or other episodes of Christ in All Things, visit christinallthings.org. Comments may be emailed to comments at christinallthings.org. To support Christ in All Things,
2: click the donate page at either christinallthings.org or splco.org.
1: In thanks for a one-time gift of $100 or more, you receive a pair of nerdy, blue-light-blocking glasses with the Christ in All Things logo on them. Pastor Shockman loves these. (laughs) That is so not true. Patrons who subscribe for a monthly gift of $20
2: or more will have early access to the show and receive some on-air clapping as well as a pair of Wisconsin-made Christ in All Things hiking socks.
1: Gifts of $1,000 or more will receive thunderous on-air clapping <laughs> and a word of thanks, plus a handmade leather Christ in All Things folio by the Murdy Creative Company. For a gift of $10,000
2: or more, we will go bleeping bananas. <laughs> Do a happy dance and take the show on the road to your home or wherever it is you'd like to fly us to record
1: with you. All Post-Production Surplus supports Youth Ministry at St. Paul's. Thank you for your support. Christ in All Things is a production of St. Paul's Lutheran Church, 210 East
2: Pleasant Street, Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. For more information about St. Paul's, visit splco.org, email us at info@splco.org or call us at 262-567-5001. Intro-outro music, setting by Joseph Hurl, copyright 1998, Concordia Publishing House. Used with permission.